0: Life Church Podcast with Pastor David Sinclair. The kingdom, oh, sorry. The parable of the talents. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five more. He also, and so he who had the two talents also made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of these servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seeds. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reaped where I have not sown and gathered where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own in interest. So take the, so he took the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, who has will more to give, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even that what he has, has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Word of the Lord.
1: How many of you have seen the show The Apprentice, or Celebrity Apprentice? Any Apprentice fans in here? Okay. I know... uh, Donald Trump gets enough press these days, but it really was a hit show. It was really a great show and and an interesting show, I think, for many reasons. Um, You know, you've got this super rich guy uh, that's interesting. Love or hate Donald Trump, one thing you cannot deny is that he's an interesting man. Even his hair, he's just very, very, very interesting. Everything he says and does is very interesting. And then you've got these famous people or these super smart people that are on his show and they're competing for this title, for this job, The Apprentice. And so Donald has them, you know, assigns them a task to invest into something or to create a new business opportunity, and, get, and they get going at it as teams, and Donald goes away and does whatever Donald Trump does for the week, flies around in his helicopter. And then both teams get busily to work, and they know the day is coming when Donald Trump is coming back, and he's going to bring them into the boardroom, and he's going to ask them how they did with their task. Um... And of course, you know, you got lots of drama amongst the teams, they're fighting, they're all trying to win this thing, and they, and they don't want it to be their fault if they lose. And so, so they, they work hard all week, and then it comes to the time of reckoning, the time when they enter the boardroom and Donald Trump walks in, and they have to give an account and they know they're going to get grilled, and they know he's going to have some harsh criticism, especially for those who lose. And there he goes, and he, and he starts asking questions, and finally he reveals, team, this team won, this team lost. Great job, team one. You did, a, you did an excellent job. Well done. Now, you can be dismissed. Let me talk to the losing team. And all the tension is sort of just building, right? You can just feel it. It's just building. And, and he starts trying to pick apart the losing team. He says things like, you know, if you were me, who would you fire? Uh, he, he tries to get people to gang up on one person and tries to pinpoint who was the weakest team member. And all the time, you're just waiting for the big climactic moment, right? You all know what it is. The big climactic moment where Donald Trump says, you're fired. And he's so good at that. And he's just really, really good at, at saying you're fired. And, and then that's it. There's no more conversation after that. Once he fires you, that's it. Great show, isn't it? Gripping show. And, you know, the interesting thing is that this parable here in Matthew that Jesus tells is a thriller. It's it's a cliffhanger, and it's a lot—it reminds me a lot of The The Apprentice. It's almost laid out identical to this show. And Jesus is such a good storyteller. I think he'd be a great sitcom writer. He's such a good storyteller because he has a way of lodging truths in our hearts and our minds that we can't forget them. And this parable is supposed to do something important in us. It's supposed to do something important in his disciples— and so we're going to see what he's after here. Now, of course, I think it's important for us to realize that we never want to draw parallels between Donald Trump and Jesus Christ. Okay? I, even maybe Donald would like us to do that today. We're not going to do that. But he is telling this story for a very specific reason, and he's talking to his disciples here. Uh, if you do a little bit of background here, um, in chapter 24, it says that Jesus is on the Mount of Olives with his disciples. And they're asking him some questions about the end of the world, about when he comes again with his kingdom. And so he starts walking them through some of these things. He starts telling them about the signs, that this is how you're going to know when the end is coming. And then in chapter 25, he tells them three parables, all of which are quite disturbing, honestly. Three very, very similar parables with similar meanings, but all of them have an interesting point. And in the middle of those, those three parables comes this parable on The talents, and so we're going to look at what Jesus is after here in this parable. And he set it out in just like the show, The Apprentice. It's just like an episode of The Apprentice. There's the resources entrusted, and then we see how the resources are invested. the The servants go about busily working for their master, and then finally the call to give an account, the climactic judgment um, from the master himself. And so we're going to see that as we go throughout this passage and try to uncover what Jesus wants us to know here. All right, so let's begin Uh, right where the show begins, right where you would see an episode of The Apprentice begins. We're handing out the resources, okay? And so this master's going away on a trip, and in the first century, if you're going away on a trip, you don't take all your money with you, especially if you have this much money, all right? Uh, Because there's lots of robbers, it's a really dangerous thing, so you got to leave it with somebody. Now, it's really interesting because normally you would never leave it with your slaves. This is a bad idea to leave this much resource with your slaves. But this guy apparently leaves it with his slaves, with his servants, and he's going on a trip. Uh, You might say, why didn't he put it in the bank? Well, they didn't have banks back then, Uh, not like we do today. There was no FDIC. So this was uh, something that he had to figure out, and maybe he didn't have family or friends that he could trust it to. So he leaves it with his servants. And the language here is talent. Uh, Now, this has been botched by lots of English speakers, because when we hear talent, what do we think of? Singing, dancing, right? Uh, Jumping through flaming hoops. America's got talent. We think of those kinds of things, right? He's not handing out those kinds of things. He's handing out large sums of money. Uh, Talent was a measurement of weight, and it corresponded to, in, in English dollars, U.S. dollars, about... Uh, $500,000 was one talent. It would take a day laborer about 20 years to earn that much money. So these are huge investments that he's leaving with his servants. It's not little, like, here, here's 20 bucks. Why don't you keep this for me, keep it safe for me. These are big amounts of money that this master is leaving with his servants as he goes on this trip. And so they have a lot of responsibility here. And he gives to them according to their ability. Now, notice there's no shame in this. Um, he, He doesn't say... You're kind of a pathetic servant, so I'm gonna only give you five hundred thousand dollars, whereas you're a really good servant, so you get two and a half million. Uh, no, he says, I'm just gonna divvy it out. Maybe it's that he had one servant working for him for a longer time, we don't know. But he gave according to their ability, and there's no shame in that. And the truth is, this is what he's done with you and I as well. He's looked at you and he said, I'm going to give you certain gifts, certain abilities. Um, You have financial resources, except for you college kids, I'm sorry. You're actually going into the negative still, uh, as far as that category is concerned. But you have physical abilities. You have mental abilities and capabilities. You have um, education. You have people skills and gifts and family and friends and all kinds of things, resources that God's put into your life that you're supposed to be managing for him. That's the big idea of this passage. You are managers of the Lord's resources. You've been given a whole number of things to steward and invest for Jesus. Likewise, Life Church is in the same boat. He's given us a ton of resources at this little church to manage and steward and invest for Jesus. Um, The main resource that he's given us is people. You want to know what God's most precious resource is? People. People. He loves people. This is why the Bible is uh, is always talking about God's heart for cities. Why does he love cities so much? Because well, they're crammed full of his favorite thing, people. Lots of people. He loves people, so when he gives people to a congregation or to a church, he's not doing so lightly. People are very important to God. He loves people more than any amount of any other resource. Life Church has been blessed. We have more people now than ever. It's something we have to steward, something we have to Take care of something we have to invest For Jesus' glory Additionally he's given this church Financial resources Uh, We are blessed to have been debt free now for Almost a year That's not an accident That's a blessing that comes right from the Lord It's not usual for churches to be debt free And God's asking us, expecting That we would invest those resources Wisely for his glory That each dollar, each cent Matters because it's God's And we're supposed to be investing it for his glory Um, he's given us people of all different kinds of backgrounds and experiences um, all different kinds of education we have people with um, professional education and lots of theological education we have people that can build things and grow plants and write and earn lots of money and we have people that can sing and people that can uh, make music and play instruments and he's given us all kinds of different resources here at this church to steward and to invest for his glory we have to ask ourselves this morning, what are we going to do with what he's given us? How are we going to manage what he's given us? And this brings us to the next part of the parable, the investment piece. How are we going to do with what God has given us? How are we going to invest it? Well, the first two servants of the parable get busy right away. It says they hurried off. They went right away at it and started trading and investing the master's resources. Okay? Okay. This is in contrast with the third guy who goes and buries it. Now, I remember being super critical of this third guy thinking, because it just didn't make any sense, right? Why would you put a whole bunch of money in a, in a box in the ground? You could lose it. Um, but this is actually just a really safe play in the first century. There's no banks, no FDIC. Um, there's the money lenders were kind of sketch. It'd be like taking your money to a pawn shop guy or something like that. Uh, It it was just kind of like, I really don't know if this is going to be safe. So he digs a hole and buries it. It's the safest place he could have put it. Uh, We know that this occurred during that time because Jesus tells a parable a few chapters earlier in Matthew 13 about buried treasure. How did it get there? Well, somebody wanted to keep it safe. So we don't see the the servant's motivation for doing this, but we know that uh, probably at the heart of it is he just really wants to not lose anything. And if you didn't want to lose anything, safest way is find a good landmark when nobody's watching you and dig a hole and put it in there. And that's what he does. That's what he does. So here we have the three servants, the two that are working hard and the one that has taken the safe play and, and buried his treasure. And as uncomfortable as it is, we have to inject ourselves into the parable at this point. Which servants are you most like? You know, When you receive a resource from the Lord, what's your first response? Is it, oh, thank you, God. Thank you for giving me this. I know you're giving this to me to invest for you. I know you're giving this to me to steward for you and to leverage for your glory and for the flourishing of everyone around me. Uh, Give me wisdom. Give me grace to manage this well. Is that your heart? Or are you like the third guy? You get something and you know it's substantial. You know it's big and you just say, I don't know what to do with it. So you just kind of sit on it. You just hold it. Maybe you just freak out and dig a hole. Put it in there. Take the safe play. Which one are you more like? Let's get a little more personal here. If we were to look at your bank statement or your credit card statement, what would we determine your investments to be? I mean, Jesus says that. If you want to know where your heart is, just look at your money. It always follows your money, right? Your heart follows your money around. So, if, if we looked at your bank statement, we could tell what you really care about, what you're really invested in. Are you investing for Jesus, or is it all about you? Um, if we looked at your time, you know how financial advisors give you all these pie charts of your life and your investments, and this you have this gross stock mutual fund and this, this uh, growth and income fund, and you're looking at your portfolio. If you were looking at your life as a portfolio, all these this pie chart and all these chunks, how, what would we determine about your life from looking at it? Where your time goes, where your energy goes, where your money goes. Are you investing it for Jesus, or is it all about you? And Jesus sort of gets a little slice of the pie. I think it's a big problem with American Christianity is that we tend to give Jesus a little chunk of our lives. And he says, I want the whole thing. The whole thing belongs to me. Everything that you are belongs to me and then every bit of our resources are to be directed towards his glory using it for what he wants it used for it's an uncomfortable thing but we have to ask the question how are we investing what we have for jesus you know as a church we have to ask ourselves how are we doing with what jesus has been has given us how are we doing with the people that he's put in life church pastor bill and i are constantly uh, praying and asking this question Are we stewarding the people that he's given us well? Are the people in Life Church actually being made into disciples who love Jesus and serve him with everything they got? This is not just about filling up chairs, it's about discipling people that he loves dearly, that he gave his own blood for. How are we doing with our financial resources and, and with this community that he's put us in? Are we investing well? would Jesus be pleased with us if he returned today? It's a question that we have to ask and wrestle through at life church. And of course this brings us to the final part of the parable, the return of the master. It's the evaluation. It's the moment of reckoning. It's it's the big moment where Donald Trump walks into the boardroom. Lots of tension, right? And and lots of emotion carried into this and I'm loaded with suspense, and then the text tells us that the master's been gone for a long time, so that even adds to the suspense, right? He's been gone a long time, and then just imagine that the servants get word, the master's back. He's back home. And of course, the long time just means that we've had plenty of time to do what the master asked us to do, right? We don't have an excuse to say, well, you didn't give us enough time. We've had 2,000 years. <laughs> you know, he's given us a lot of time to accomplish the Great Commission, to make sure the gospel goes everywhere, to make sure that orphans are cared for and widows are cared for, to make sure that our communities have the gospel and they begin to flourish in Jesus Christ. He's given us plenty of time. Of course, the first two servants, they're ready for this moment, right? They're like, oh, I can't wait to get in that boardroom. I can't wait. It's going to be great. I've got 100% increase to bring in. Can you imagine? Look at your portfolio and your investments did 100%. This is where you, you know, you say, we're having steak dinner to your, your financial planner. Like, you did a nice job, man. Uh, you, you blew it out of the water. These guys brought in a hundred percent increase. The guy that had two and a half million dollars brought another two and a half million dollars. The guy that had a million dollars brought another million dollars. These guys were excited. And of course, then we see the response. Master looks at them and says, verse 21, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful faithful over a little i will set you over much and this is the punch line of the parable we know that he repeats it twice there's lots of emphasis here faithfulness faithfulness this is the heart of jesus christ this is the heart of our lord and savior this is what he wants from you and i he wants faithfulness he wants faithfulness well done good and faithful servant you've been faithful over a little i will set you over much Notice that both the servants got the same response, even though one of them brought in a lot more money. Okay? So Jesus isn't all about numbers here. He's about faithfulness. Doing your best with what he's given you. That's what he's all about. That's what he cares about. Mother Teresa said that God calls us to be faithful, not successful. I think that's really important because sometimes when you're faithful to Jesus, everything's going to flourish. You know, everything you touch, the ministry takes off, the business goes crazy, uh, the people in your life are all, your family's in great shape, everything looks great. And you could say, well, God blessed me because I was faithful, and that's true. But sometimes when you're faithful, the wheels are going to fall off the cart. Sometimes when you're faithful, you get put on a cross and crucified. That's what happened to our Lord Jesus, the most faithful person that ever lived. God cares about faithfulness, not success. You just be faithful with whatever He's given you to do and don't worry about the success. You don't have control over your success. And success is just in our eyes anyway. Who really grades success? God grades success. We don't get to decide what's successful, we get to choose if we're going to be faithful or not. And that's what Jesus cares about faithfulness. Now, notice the reward. There's a reward here for faithfulness to the Master. And it's a little surprising, honestly. It's twofold. And remember, this parable is told about the end of time. That's the, that's the situation here, the eschaton. What's going to happen when Jesus comes again and invites us into all eternity? And this is what he says. First of all, the first part of the reward is that the, servants, the faithful servants are entrusted with more. It says, you've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. You kind of expect oh man, you guys have worked so hard. Why don't you just come on in and kick it for a while? Just chill. You know, just put your feet up. You've been working for a long time. That's not what happens. He says, you've been faithful with a little. Two and a half million bucks. That's a little. That's a little. That's puny stuff to God. Now I'm going to set you over much. They get more to do. It's interesting. Eternity... Uh, for Christians is not a retirement into leisure time it means more work but it's joyful work it's not filled with frustration but we're going to be working for Jesus forever we're going to be serving him forever Rick Warren says this he says faithful servants never retire you can retire from your career but you will never retire from serving God even into all eternity this is good news for you that get excited about doing something in eternity you won't be sitting on clouds you'll be working He's going to put you over much. The second part of the reward is interesting, I think even more interesting, and that is that the master doesn't give them anything. He says, enter into the joy of your master. He doesn't say, here's what's going to make you happy. Here's the reward, so now you can go and enjoy this thing that I'm going to give you. He says, you get to come and experience me being happy with you. You get to come and be a part of the 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 wedding feast you get to come and enjoy my joy isn't that interesting that in the end what we will want most is to bring our master joy in the end most our his happiness will make us happy have you ever had this before um you might have experienced this on a micro level with a parent um you know a spouse or kids where you put a lot of energy into bringing them joy And in the midst of their joy, you found yourself incredibly joyful. You know, way more joyful than you could have ever made yourself had you just focused on your own joy. And I think that's just a a, a microscopic version of what's going to happen when we meet our Lord, when we meet our Master, and He is joyful with us, and He invites us into His joy. He says, come, you get to be by me as I'm joyful in you. That will be our reward. Apparently, that was really a great reward for these servants. In stark contrast to these faithful servants, of course, we have the third servant who buried his treasure. And I imagine what that was like, you know, when he heard the master's home, he's digging it up, okay, good, it's still there. You know, he gets that box covered with dirt out, and he's preparing his speech. Now, we know that he really knew this was not what the master wanted because he had prepared a speech. Anytime you have to prepare a speech... You know, you've done something wrong, right? So he prepares this speech, and this is what he says: He says, "I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours." I don't know what he was expecting in response, but the master comes down hard on him. It's a harsh judgment here in the context is eternal punishment he's cast out of the master's presence into darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth this is a severe punishment so what was the servant's motivation for doing this taking this route if he knew the master wouldn't be pleased in this what was his motivation well the text gives us a couple of hints first of all could be self-interest and we have to watch out for this as well the master, the the guy, the the third servant said he knew that his master was a hard man, and that in the text means that he demanded good returns. Uh, Maybe in this sense, Jesus is a little like Donald Trump. They don't want one and a half percent returns on their investments. They want good returns, all right? And so he says, I knew you're a hard man. Maybe, maybe he just felt like he's going to demand such a good return. What use is it me working hard? Because it's all going to go to him anyway, and so why bother? So he just decides to bury it and I'll keep it safe for him, at least. But I'm not going to put forth the effort. If we're honest, this is us sometimes, isn't it? You know, our best efforts, our our most strenuous work goes to stuff that's going to be immediately gratifying to us. Doesn't it? I mean, if we're honest, right? What's in it for me? That's a big question in our minds all the time. And when it comes to the Lord asking us to do something that isn't going to have real returns for us, It's going to be for him and for the flourishing of others. We kind of drag our feet a little. Or we kind of maybe give it our leftover energy. We kind of put it on the back burner. It could be what this servant did. Just self-interest. The second thing could have been just what he said in verse 25. I was afraid. He got scared. His master's high expectations. And he just panicked and put it in a hole. And, And never in that long time that the master was away did he ever get up the nerve to dig it up and do something with it he just freaked out you know i think no matter what his motivation was his excuses are not accepted and this this part about the fear tells us that discipleship is always risky following jesus christ is never going to be a risk-free proposition for you it will always involve risk it's like, you can't be a stockbroker if you say, I have no stomach for financial risk, but I really want to be a stockbroker, okay? That's not going to work. You're going to go insane. Um, it's, you cannot be a Christian if you can't tolerate any risk with your life because Jesus owns your life. He can tell you what to do, and sometimes it's very, very scary. And obviously, it's easy to see ourselves here too, isn't it? Uh, my wife and I have commented sometimes that sometimes following Jesus is just very scary, You don't know what he's going to ask you to do. And you have to say yes. It's part of being a Christian, right? Uh, Some of you have have, uh, been asked incredible things lately. And I've been super proud of you because the ones of you that have told me about it, you've said, this is what the Lord's asking us to do. It's going to be a game changer. It's going to be a big deal. It's going to completely turn our lives upside down. But we're trusting the Lord because he's going to give us grace to do it and walk through it. And you're doing it even though it's scary. I think that's what the Christian life is. Yeah, we're doing it even though we're freaked out. We're moving through it. Um, for Life Church, we're, we're in, a, in, a, in a unique and new season here. Something A place we've never been in with all this growth and change. And some of you have asked me, how are you doing with this stuff? And, and I say, hey, I'm really excited about all the, the opportunity that God's given us and all the things that God's put in front of us. But that's only half of it. The other half is I'm really freaked out. Really worried that stuff's going to change and relationships are going to change and stuff that's comfortable isn't going to be comfortable anymore. I'm worried that a lot of times when churches grow and change, it's not for the good. Sometimes they, they take their eyes off the one thing they have to keep their eyes on, which is Jesus. They start paying attention to the parking lot or the building or something else that it matters, but it's not the main thing. I'm afraid too fear is no reason to sit around and do nothing with what God has given us. It's only reason to look to him and and, and pray more and trust him for the grace to, to use it well, to steward it well. So the judgment for this last servant is harsh. We have to remember this is a story that Jesus told. He's not teaching on how to be saved. This is a story, that he's looking for specific impact. But he ends it this way for a reason. He means business. This is serious stuff. And he's putting an exclamation point on the end of his story here by using such a serious example in the end this servant is labeled as useless for the kingdom of god and we see that jesus words in matthew 7 are true only those who do the will of my father will enter into the kingdom of god it's heavy isn't it the natural thing to do with a parable is to put yourself somewhere in there so where are you where do you see yourself today What's your response to this parable? Um, I'm aware there could be several. Suppose some of you could be sitting here thinking, hey, I just feel like this, this means to me that I need to really evaluate what I'm doing with my, my resources, my time, my money, my energy, all the things that God's given me. Hey, praise God. I think that's what Jesus wants you to get out of this, that you really do, you let God search you. You let God help you evaluate and make changes if you need to make changes. I think that's what, I think that's what Jesus is after here. But I'm aware there's other possibilities, and the one I'm especially concerned about is that this could produce a whole bunch of fear in you, that if you don't perform well enough, if you don't work hard enough or diligent enough, God's going to treat you like he did this third servant. So you're going to start working really hard and doing stuff because you're just afraid of God, and I don't think that's what Jesus is after here. I don't think that's the posture of heart he wants you to have towards your father, right? I don't think Jesus left his home in heaven came to earth died and rose again to tell us to work harder try harder I think that's the point here because see ultimately think about it with me for a minute what reward motivates the faithful servants we want to be like the faithful servants in the story right what reward are they after they're after the joy of the master right that's what drives them to a hundred percent increase the joy of the master bringing him joy is the hugest motivation in the whole world. What was the motivation for the third servant? What was fear. Fear actually didn't do anything for him. It drove him to do nothing. It froze him. And see, that's the key to the Christian life. If you're always afraid of the consequences for not doing things right, then that just means that you haven't understood the master. It means you haven't understood the master's heart for you and what he's done for you. That means that you haven't understood that The master served and loved you before you did anything for him. You get that? He totally laid himself out for you before you did anything for him. When you realize that, you start working for him, and you don't even think about the possibility that you wouldn't do anything. Because when you get that, it changes you, and and it changes you from the inside out, affects all of your behavior. So you never have to worry about being the third servant. You'll work for his joy with everything you've got. It's kind of paradoxical. It's kind of like there's a key that unlocks inside your heart true motivation. All right, And once that true motivation is unlocked, you'll do anything. Go to any lengths, serve the master, even go to t- your own death for the master. But until that's unlocked, it'll feel really hard and arduous, and, and it'll feel like works-based righteousness. There'll be fear in it. There'll be all kinds of uh, uh, you know difficult things about it. And you might say, well, what's the key to that? Well, it's understanding that you were the joy that was set before Jesus, that he would go to the cross, enduring its shame. So you have to understand that he loved you that much. When you understand that and unlock something and you work joyfully for him. It was out of joy that he redeemed you and now it's out of seeking his joy that you work faithfully for him. That's how it works. And I know this is a little bit of an, A difficult concept to grasp, but it really is important that you, as a Christian, understand the balance between faith and works. That's what this is turning on here. Faith and works have to go together. That's what James says in James 5:16. He says, "Faith without works is dead." So we might say, "What was the problem with this last servant?" Because that's what I—that's the question that comes to my mind. What's the big deal? He—he buried it. Didn't do anything wrong. He didn't embezzle it, steal it. But what's the problem with him? Well, he was a workless servant. We can conclude that he didn't have faith, that he didn't really love the Master. And so he's punished. And so he receives, he's not, he doesn't belong to the Master. Martin Luther said that we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. It's always accompanied by good works. It always, this faith in Jesus Christ always changes you. It can't not change you. You know, the next parable here in Matthew, Matthew 25, tells us a, a little bit more about this, gives us a little bit more clarity into it, and it's the parable of the sheep and the goats. And this parable it sounds a lot like a county fair. You know, God's at the end of time. Uh, he's separating the sheep from the goats, and the sheep are apparently his, and the goats are apparently not his. And how he tells the difference between the sheep and the goats is simply by what they did. You know, he he names things like they fed the hungry, they cared for the sick, they clothed the naked, they visited those in prison. And the interesting thing about that parable is at the end of the parable, the sheep and the goats are both shocked. We can't believe it. They had no idea that they were doing or not doing these things unto the Lord. Kind of tells us that for God's people, doing good works will come as naturally as growing wool comes to sheep. You're one of God's people. You've been saved and filled with the Spirit. You're going to produce fruit. right? It's going to happen naturally. Another way to speak of it uh, that Jesus mentions is the metaphor of producing fruit. He says, a good tree produces good fruit. So if you have a, a good apple tree, you're going to get good apples off of it. It doesn't have to try really hard. It just happens. When God puts his Spirit inside of you, you're going to produce fruit. So I don't want you worried and fretful about whether or not you're going to be treated like this last servant. If you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to produce fruit. This parable is a call for you to investigate that fruit, to inspect it, to say, is my life filled with good fruit? Is the Spirit changing me and producing more and more fruit? Those of you who are new Christians, you're probably not going to have a lot of fruit yet. Young trees don't produce a lot of fruit. Okay? So be patient. The fruit will come. But you're going to produce fruit. So be confident of that. Whatever your response to this parable is, don't miss these simple questions. How am I using what God has given me to invest for him? Am I investing it for Jesus? And if not, why not? If not, why not? You know, when it comes to life church, I think this parable is timely because with all the different things going on, all the change, all the growth, all the things that, we, that could clamor for our attention, there is really just one question that we really need to answer. And and that, and that makes all the other questions sort of become secondary questions. And that question is, how do we be faithful to our master, Jesus Christ? That's all we really have to do as his church. We have to be faithful to our master, Jesus Christ. We have to use whatever he's given us for his glory and the flourishing of everyone around us. Friends, I pray that when he returns, the master would find us working faithfully. You pray with me? Father, we thank you for this time and we thank you for this parable, Lord. Uh, It's a hard one to accept sometimes that you're watching, that that you care about what we do with what you've given us. So, Lord, we ask for your grace this morning and for the power of your Holy Spirit, which is so essential for us to do this well. We cannot do this without your help. Give us the grace to be faithful, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
2: Uh, we, as, as followers of Christ, we're called to be faithful. Uh, Dave said that in his sermon, and um, I think that's the call for us believers. Uh, but if you are not a believer, um, if you have questions about these things, um, you don't have to be faithful. But the good news is that you are invited and you're welcome to take joy in the Master, in the Lord. And the good news is that Jesus is on the throne. He's alive. He is our king. He's a good king. Um, A king that God came as a man, died, and rose again to show us, to reveal to us life and what that looks like in him. Uh, It's offered to you. All you have to do is is take it. And that is the gospel. That's the good news. If you have questions about that, uh, you need prayer, you need something. Um, We're going to have people come up. Every Sunday we do this. Um, People come up, they'll pray with you. Um, Also, you know, Pastor Dave is here. We have elders around and obviously many believers. Um, So if the... uh, the prayer people <laughs> would uh, come up right now and if you, uh, you know, you're part of life church, you're a believer um, and you need encouragement and you have your own doubts and you have challenges, um, uh, come and pray with them as well. otherwise you are dismissed.